Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Richheimer, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to Pain Know-How, the official podcast of the online pain medicine program at the Keck School of Medicine at USC, the University of Southern California. I'm the program director. This podcast is dedicated to sharing evidence-based information to enhance the practice of any clinician that treats patients that experience pain. All our speakers are experts in their fields and they will provide listeners with the most up-to-date information. Thank you for listening. Now let's go to today's episode. Welcome, uh, my name is uh, Dr. Jack Berger and I'm here today to speak to you about um, fibromyalgia. So what are our objectives today? Uh, what is fibromyalgia? What causes it? How is it diagnosed? <clears throat> and how do we treat it? But maybe not in that order. Your pain is all in your head. I think you're just depressed. We've done all the tests. There's nothing wrong with you. How many people have heard this or a similarly disempowering conclusion from their doctors? For most people with fibromyalgia, FM, it takes a substantial amount of time to receive the proper pain-related diagnosis. In part, this is because fibromyalgia is still a poorly understood condition. At a basic science level, our knowledge is growing rapidly, but progress has been much slower at the clinical level. Many have a profound distrust of a diagnosis based on symptoms alone when the symptom is pain, and basic research has not uncovered a test that would yield an unequivocal sign of pain. Fibromyalgia is a disorder characterized by widespread musculoskeletal pain accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood issues. Research believe, researchers believe that fibromyalgia amplifies painful sensations by affecting the way your brain processes pain signals. Symptoms sometimes begin after a physical trauma, surgery, infection, or some other significant psychological stress. In other cases, symptoms gradually accumulate over time with no single triggering event. But fibromyalgia patients hurt all over yet we're not able to find any pathology in their muscles. Yet we must consider fibromyalgia as a neuropathic pain syndrome manifested by painful muscles. If you hurt all over and feel worn out, you may have fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. Both are serious chronic illnesses that have specific criteria for diagnosis but may be overlooked because blood tests are typically normal. Also, the distinction between fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome is rather fuzzy, with up to 70% of patients meeting the diagnosis for both. While many chronic pain syndromes mimic certain aspects of fibromyalgia, the 1990 American College of Rheumatology criteria identifies, in quotation, fibro, in quotation, patients 
uh, with an 88% accuracy. This is just as accurate as blood tests for other medical conditions. Fibromyalgia should not be viewed as a wastebasket diagnosis. Fibromyalgia tender points. Routine lab tests do not detect the widespread pain of fibromyalgia. Instead, the diagnosis is made by a physical examination of pressure points. When light pressure is applied to the surface of the muscles throughout the body, patients with fibromyalgia find this painful, especially at the specific tender point areas used for diagnosis. To meet the fibromyalgia criteria for diagnosis, patients must have widespread pain in all four quadrants of the body for a minimum of three months, at least 11 of the 18 specified tender points, and the 18 sites used for the fibromyalgia diagnosis cluster around the neck, shoulder, chest, hip, knee, and elbow regions. The finger pressure that must be applied to these areas during an exam is just enough to cause the nail bed to blanch or become white. So we have to distinguish tender points versus trigger points. The tender points are in fibromyalgia. The trigger points are in myofascial pain. What is the difference between tender points and trigger points? And how will it impact treatment? For starters, 90% of the 18 predetermined tender points are actually myofascial trigger points also. Trigger points are firm nodules that can be often felt in tight rope-like muscles. Pressing on a trigger point hurts in the area and also shoots pain to other areas that are non-dermatomal radiation or referred pain. While pressing on a tender point is believed to only cause discomfort to the local area. Using symptoms and tender points to diagnose fibromyalgia, what happens when you do not have at least 11 of the specified 18 tender points? And if other conditions that might be causing the pain have been ruled out, does that mean that the symptoms are not caused by fibromyalgia? The answer to that is not necessarily. Even if the patient doesn't quite meet the tender point diagnosis for fibromyalgia, he or she may still have this condition. A consensus of 35 fibromyalgia experts published a report in 1996 saying that a person does not need to have the required 11 tender points to be diagnosed and treated for fibromyalgia. This criteria is only required for people being studied for research purposes. However, in 2010, new criteria were developed. The new but still preliminary criteria for fibromyalgia diagnosis were published in May of 2010. More details on how the American College of Rheumatology and Researchers arrived at the end result, um, they arrived at a one-page symptom checklist. In place of tender point count, patients or their physicians may endorse 19 body regions in which pain has been experienced during the last past week. This number is referred to as the widespread 
Pain Index, or WPI. And it is one of the two required scores needed for a doctor to make a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. The second part of the score needed to determine if a patient has fibromyalgia involves the evaluation of a person's symptoms. The end result is a symptom severity score, or SS score. The diagnosis, therefore, is based on evaluating both the WPI score and the SS score. Overall, it takes into consideration the widespread nature of the pain and the other bothersome symptoms. The greatest problem with the new criteria is that the authors do not state how severe the pain must be in order to check yes for that area. What if the pain is just a dull ache or inter intermittent? The criteria do not specify the intensity or quantity of pain that one must have in a given area over the past week to merit a yes answer. Quantifying the symptoms for the SS score is even more vague. In fact, the control patients scored an average of 3 on a scale of 0 to 12, which is not far from the SS score required for fibromyalgia. On the downside, is it possible that these new criteria may greatly increase the number of patients diagnosed with fibro by diluting what is called fibromyalgia? Quite possibly, people with chronic painful illnesses that do not involve widespread pain will meet the preliminary criteria for diagnosis. This could diminish the credibility of people who actually have fibromyalgia. So the diagnosis of fibromyalgia may still be given in the usual clinical setting, for example in private practice, if widespread pain is present along with many of the commonly associated symptoms. These being fatigue that is not relieved by rest, sleep disorder or sleep that is unrefreshing, irritable bowel, for example diarrhea or constipation, chronic headaches, tension type or migraines, jaw pain including TMJ dysfunction and impairment, cognitive or memory dysfunction, numbness and tingling sensations, skin and chemical sensitivities, post-exertional malaise and muscle pain, or morning stiffness that is waking up stiff and aching. Alterations in pain-related chemical transmitters have been reported in the spinal fluid, particularly substance P, nerve growth factor, serotonin, norepinephrine, and corticotropin releasing factor. But these are not found abnormally in muscle. Elevated levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, which are substances that form a communication link between your body's immune and neurological systems have been found by many research teams. Different brain imaging techniques by several uh, research centers have all shown that the blood flow and metabolic processes in the brain are significantly disturbed as central nervous system research on fibromyalgia continues. Studies have found that levels of several different chemicals 
important to brain and nervous system function are abnormal in people with fibromyalgia. These chemicals include, as we said previously, serotonin, a neurotransmitter that helps regulate mood, sleep, and muscle contraction, tryptophan, an amino acid the body uses to make serotonin, norepinephrine, a hormone that regulates the body's reaction to stress, substance P, a protein involved in transmitting pain signals from the nerves to the brain. For many fibromyalgia patients, symptoms begin after emotional or physical trauma or about with an infectious disease. These may be triggers. These do not likely cause fibromyalgia by themselves, but they are thought to trigger the onset of the disorder in people who are already susceptible to it. Conditions that mimic fibromyalgia include low thyroid hormone levels, hypothyroidism, vitamin D insufficiency, parathyroid disease causing elevated blood calcium levels, muscle diseases causing muscle pain such as polymyositis, bone diseases causing bone pain such as Paget's disease, elevated blood calcium, hypercalcemia, infectious diseases such as hepatitis, Epstein-Barr virus, AIDS, and finally cancer. Some of the agents that are used in treating uh, fibromyalgia um, are the antidepressants. And for the antidepressants to work, you need both serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibition in order to modulate pain signals. Starting uh, tricyclic antidepressants, amitriptyline was one of the oldest and still most commonly used. Desipramine, doxepin, which is the most sedating, amipramine, and nortriptyline, which is probably the best tolerated. Non-tricyclic antidepressants uh, include uh, venlafaxine, um, cymbalta or duloxetine, bupropion, also known as Welbutrin, and trazodone, um, Desiril. Um, trazodone um, I would only use um, in uh, women. I would avoid it in men since approximately 18% of men have been reported to um, develop uh, priapism uh, when given trazodone. But what's the conundrum? If serotonin and norepinephrine have been found elevated in cerebrospinal fluid of fibromyalgia patients, why should antidepressants that inhibit reuptake of these hormones, thus elevating their concentrations in the CSF, be helpful? And I have to admit, I don't really know the answer to that. Other agents that use, um, are used in treatment are the muscle relaxants or antispasmodics, baclofen, um, which is a GABA receptor antagonist uh, and is involved in descending pain modulation for best, uh, for pain associated with spasticity um, and central pain mechanisms. Tizanidine um, is a central modulation alpha-2 receptor inhibition agent, uh, but it is uh, quite sedating and is used commonly in fibromyalgia patients.
uh, carisoprodol, uh, also known as uh, soma. Be careful uh, with this one uh, since it's metabolized to meprobamate, which is a barbiturate tranquilizer and has a high potential for uh, dependence uh, or addiction. And if uh, uh, suddenly um, uh, discontinued, can result in seizures occurring four to seven days after acute cessation. <clears throat> but are muscle relaxants truly helpful? Or do they just sedate the patients, taking away some of the stress and relieving reactive tension? Again, I don't know the answer to that question, but they are commonly used in fibromyalgia patients. Non-opioid pain-relieving medications, uh, such as acetaminophen um, and the uh, prototype non-steroidal anti-inflammatory analgesic agents, such as aspirin, uh, choline, magnesium, tricylate, ibuprofen, naproxen, um, ketorolac, um, uh, all are commonly uh, uh, used uh, in the treatment of fibromyalgia patients. Uh, the cyclooxygenase 2 specific inhibitor, um, celecoxib, which is the only one uh, left available to us, uh, can also be uh, effective in patients who don't tolerate the um, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Um, Non-opioid relieving medications also include the anticonvulsants, such as gabapentin, pregabalin, uh, topiramate, and uh, lamotrigine. Um, there are uh, additional ones such as uh, clonazepam, carbamazepam, uh, um, excuse me, carbamazepine, uh, valproic acid, and phenytoin. Um, corticosteroids have been used um, in some cases of fibromyalgia patients such as prednisone or dexamethasone. And of course membrane stabilizers uh, such as sodium channel blockers, uh, N-methyl-D-aspartate uh, receptor blockade, ketamine, dextromethorphan, um, and GABA enhancers. When we look at uh, the analgesic agents that are commonly used um, and we compare their analgesic properties um, with uh, what is known as numbers needed to treat, um, that is, how many patients do you need uh, to treat with a particular drug and dosage in order for 50% of the patients to obtain 50% pain relief. And we can see that um, with oxycodone at the dose of 15 milligrams, you only need 1.3 patients. That is basically um, each patient that you're going to use or one in four patients uh, or three out of four patients will uh, obtain pain relief with 15 milligrams of oxycodone. Um, <clears throat> morphine, using 10 milligrams of oral morphine, uh, you will need to treat three patients for one of them uh, to have 50% pain relief. Uh, and it goes on. Um, it's just a way of uh, looking at different agents in terms of their analgesic potential. Uh, codeine at 60 milligrams, uh, you need 17 patients to treat 
in order for 50% of them to have 50% pain relief. When we look at the central nervous system um, and it, the research that's going on with respect to fibromyalgia, almost all people with fibromyalgia report difficulties staying asleep. For example, the natural processes in the brain that maintain sleep appear to be disrupted. The autonomic nervous system, whose control center resides at the base of the brain, to communicate with the central nervous system to regulate the peripheral tissues, is not functioning properly also. Research on the primary pain control system in the spinal cord indicates that it is not filtering out or dampening incoming noxious signals from the peripheral tissues. Several research studies pertaining to memory function tests show that people with fibromyalgia have an impaired ability to concentrate. What are some of these symptoms? Cognitive difficulties, we've mentioned this before, a symptom commonly referred to as fibrofog, impairs the ability to focus, pay attention, and concentrate on mental tasks. Fibromyalgia often coexists with other painful conditions, as we've mentioned before, such as irritable bowel syndrome, migraine or other types of headaches, interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome, vulvodynia, temporomandibular joint disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders, PTSD. So why do fibromyalgia patients hurt? Research believe repeated nerve stimulation causes the brains of people with fibromyalgia to actually change. This change involves an abnormal increase in the levels of certain chemicals in the brain that signal pain, that is, neurotransmitters. In addition, the brain's pain receptors seem to develop a sort of memory of the pain and become more sensitive, meaning they can overreact to pain signals. Likewise, the brain's descending modulating systems are distributed, or excuse me, are disturbed in fibromyalgia, causing the body to be oversensitive to even non-nociceptive stimulation. The International Association for the Study of Pain, the IASP, defined uh, pain in 1979 as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. Corollary is that biologists recognize that those stimuli which cause pain are liable to damage tissue. Accordingly, pain is that emotional experience we associate with actual or potential tissue damage. In the acute stress response, one instinct shared among animals and humans is the fight or flight instinct also known as the acute stress response. Walter Bradford Cannon theorized that in the face of a threat, an animal reacts with a discharge of the sympathetic nervous system. This reaction increases blood flow to the muscles, raises blood sugar, heart rate, and blood pressure, releases epinephrine to the liver, 
to the liver, which produces more glucose, increases muscle tension, and heightens the blood clotting function. This heightened physical state prepares the organism in danger to perform at peak physical capacity, whether that means running away or standing and fighting. In humans, a prolonged stress response can lead to headaches, fatigue, anxiety, irritability, and other symptoms, sort of like fibromyalgia. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, causes an individual to experience the stress response when simply recalling the event that caused it. And panic disorder, or catastrophizing, is the body or brain severely misinterpreting the stress signals. So how does this relate to the chronic pain patient, these stressors? Patients don't wake up one morning and find themselves suffering from chronic pain. It is a process of collective memories, a vicious cycle of epigenomics, as we'll see. Traumatic um, uh, events, historically, comorbidities, um, or the symptom burden, medication toxicity, including medical problems, explicit stressors, stressors or constellation of stressors, social problems, catastrophic thinking, and social problems. These all um, um, relate to anger, anxiety, deconditioning, pain suffering, family disruption, vocational mill ad adjustment, and economic pressures. In fact, it's part sensation, part emotion. And in fact, again, nowadays, pain is considered part sensation, part emotion, because fundamental aspects of pain are its negative valence, that is, we dislike it, and its salience, we cannot avoid paying attention to it. Pain requires a complex nervous system capable of turning sensations into memories, emotions, and suffering. The perception of pain, the evaluation of its meaning, and the response to it are affected by prior experiences which have established memories affected by and affecting fear, anger, anxiety, and depression at various areas in the brain and the cortical regions. Um, there's also a uh, uh, recent finding by Shin and Eisenach, they reported in anesthesiology in 2004, in which they showed that injury to nerves innervating somatic structures enhances nociception from stimulation of viscera with convergent endpoint input from nearby dermatomes, suggesting that somatic neuropathic pain could be accompanied by an increased likelihood of visceral pain. And the question is, is fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pelvic pain, chronic interstitial cystitis, most likely all represent visceral hypersensitivity pain syndromes of neuropathic origin that may very well have started as somatic neuropathic pain. 
Apkarian also found when he compared the brain morphology of 26 chronic back pain patients to a matched control subject group using uh, MRI imaging and brain scan data and automated analysis techniques that the gray matter density was reduced in the bilateral dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the right thalamus and was strongly related to pain characteristics in a pattern distinct for neuropathic versus non-neuropathic chronic back pain. The results imply that chronic back pain is accompanied by brain atrophy and suggests that the pathophysiology of chronic pain includes uh, thalamocortical processes that um, uh, involve the death of gray matter cells is one common expression of a set of pain conditions known as the chronic overlapping pain conditions that includes uh, challenges such as low back pain, migraine headache, irritable bowel syndrome, etc. In fact, most people who have long-term pain conditions have more than one diagnosis for their chronic pain, as we've mentioned earlier. This means that our focus in helping people to heal from fibromyalgia pain must be centered on treating them as a whole person, as opposed to someone with a specific diagnosis that can be viewed as separate from the rest of their story. In this sense, it absolutely matters how every person with pain digests their food, how well they sleep, and how they move. It also means that a core focus of treatment must be helping to develop a body and brain that are resistant to pain. The way that I have treated uh, fibromyalgia patients in the past, and this is sort of um, um, a, uh, uh, a little bit off the uh, normal type of uh, treatments, um, is bi-monthly or monthly intravenous infusions of a solution containing um, between 200 and 400 milligrams of lidocaine, a gram of magnesium sulfate, 15 to 30 milligrams of ketorolac, and sometimes uh, 4 milligrams of decadron. And this uh, is dissolved in 100 mLs of uh, saline. I started a small caliber intravenous access, 22 gauge is all you need, and then infuse um, this uh, solution rapidly enough to obtain near toxicity levels, such as slurring of speech, twitching, uh, a drop in oxygen saturation, etc. At which point I slow down the infusion or turn it off till the symptoms begin to resolve and then speed up again. I talk to the patients during the infusion, offering positive suggestions for help. The pain relief is dramatic and offers hope to patients that there actually is something that can relieve their pain, even if it is only temporary. Um, the relief usually lasts from several days to um, uh, several weeks. Patients will walk out of the office having started with uh, eight or nine or ten over ten pain and leave the office with actually no pain 
or 1 or 2 over 10 pain. This treatment, however, is labor-intensive because you must actually be there with the patient and watch for toxicity. And, of course, um, it's a, a very poorly uh, uh, to no reimbursement at all from insurance companies. My treatment of choice also includes uh, the other med medications which I mentioned earlier, um, such as the antidepressants, the um, uh, anticonvulsants, um, etc. I encourage uh, the patients to uh, um, participate in restorative yoga, uh, which is very mild and, um, and easy, uh, rather than um, um, the active type of yoga. Uh, pool therapy is very, very um, uh, helpful, as well as pool aerobics. Minimize the prescription of opioids, since neuropathic pain is poorly responsive to opiate therapy. Uh, biofeedback and hypnosis therapies can also be very effective. There's a big question mark about cannabinoid therapy in fibromyalgia. I've had patients who have uh, used marijuana uh, in their um, um, uh, treatment uh, and have reported uh, uh, good response and others that have not had good response. Um, future probably lies in the epigenetic therapy involving things like uh, BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, nerve growth factor, um, tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, um, etc. In conclusion, uh, the question remains, is chronic pain an inflammation of the brain? And is fibromyalgia a manifestation of one of these chronic overlapping pain conditions of altered descending modulation um, due to changes within the various memory circuits and conducting uh, connectivity circuits within the brain. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Pain Know-How. If you want more information about our online programs, please visit our website at painmed.usc.edu or send an email to us at painmed at usc.edu. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.